You're listening to the Church of the Redeemer Sermon Podcast. Join us at our 10 a.m. worship gathering in Alcoa, Tennessee. Visit us at churchotr.com for more info and to hear other sermons in this series. We've been going through the book of Luke together since last fall to take a deeper look into the life of Jesus. And we now arrive at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. And to give you emotional preparation for what we're about to read, this is a passage mostly about money and possessions. I know you're excited. Let's read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, I know what you might be thinking, oh great, the church is going to talk about money. I left my last church because they were always talking about money, which is a common thing I hear as a pastor. This is one of the advantages of preaching through a book of the Bible because then you just you preach it when you get to it. And so here we are. Uh, it's not my favorite thing to talk about either. I hope that helps. One of the things I want you to see though is I think this will relate to most of us. Jesus is talking throughout here about fearing not or don't worry, don't be anxious. And when it comes to issues of money or possessions, many of us often have worries, anxieties. So I think this is going to apply to us. Let's look this morning at the balance of money worry, 
the deceptiveness of money worry, and Jesus' answer to our money worry. The balance, the deceptiveness, and Jesus' answer to our money worry. So first, the balance of money worry. In this extended teaching, Jesus lays out that you can worry about money by having not enough of it and by having too much of it. In this extended teaching, Jesus says you can worry too much about having not enough or too much. Let me show you. Regarding too little, in verses 22 and 23, Jesus addresses his disciples specifically and says, don't worry about what you eat or what you're going to put on, your clothing. Verse 23, the life is more than food, the body more than clothing. He repeats the idea in verses 29 and 30. Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. I think if you were to take a look at all the things that you or I might own, food and clothing would go in the need category and not in the want or luxury category. This is not a luxury car. This is not a larger house. Food and clothing, these are needs. And Jesus says, don't even worry about these things because your father loves you. He knows you need them and he wants to provide them for you. Now, I'm going to talk in more depth about Jesus' answer about who the Father is and how he gives a little bit later. But what I want you to see for now is that it is a common experience to worry about not having enough, about not having the things you need. That's a common experience of humans. Now, regarding too much, Jesus responds to a man with a question about dividing his inheritance fairly with a statement in verse 15 that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Verse 15 One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then in verse 16, he goes on to tear a a parable, which is a story, a pretend story with a moral, about a man who's worrying a lot about his wealth. He's clearly worried about it, so much so that he tries to tell his soul to relax about having enough in verse 19. There is a balance to our worries about our money, our possessions, and our needs. You can worry about having too little, and you can worry about having too much. Let me show you how this works. On one hand, though many people in Blount County try to hide it, many people to struggle, struggle to pay for bills that they need, whether it be a student loan bill or a credit card bill. Uh, lots of people pray about where the money's going to come from when they experience a medical emergency. And if you have a family at all, you'll probably experience a medical emergency. Or consider this, that over a third of kids in Blunt, or not, not, Maryville and Alcoa schools, not counting Blunt County schools, over a third of kids are on the free lunch program. The number is even higher than that in the county. And with housing affordability becoming a more serious issue in Blunt County, it's the most serious issue according to the Blunt County United Way. Many people are worried about affording their apartments for when their rent inevitably goes up. When it comes to the needs of education, health, food, many, many, many people are worried about having enough to cover what they need. I think that's straightforward enough. Even if that's not your predicament this morning, I think it's fairly straightforward to understand. It's easy to worry if you don't have enough to pay for what you need. And the opposite is also true, which might catch some of you off guard. But the more of it you have, the more you worry. If you have a larger house, more than you need, let's say you've got a spare bedroom, plenty of spare bathrooms, let's say your garage is really large or you have an extra bay in your garage, you have more than you need. And we know that the uh, median American single-family detached home square footage has gone way up over the last 40 years. Talk to any realtor in the room, and there's many of you. 
Most of us, well, many of us, I can't speak for most of us, many of us have more than we need. And if you have a house larger than you need, then you have to insure it. Now, insuring things are prudent. If you have a mortgage, you have to insure your home. But the more stuff you have, the more you have to worry about insuring more stuff. Because there's more things that could go wrong. Or consider, if you have luxury amenities or possessions, the more you worry when you go on vacation. And the wealthier people I know usually try to get house sitters because they're worried and they have nightmares about people stealing their stuff. Consider that people with tattered couches and no televisions and no luxury jewelry don't worry about that. Or the more retirement accounts and real estate you have, the more you have to be worried about your will because you want to divide up your possessions equitably when you die. And you could talk to some of the lawyers in your room. That often gets very, very nasty and very messy. And the more stuff you have, the more you have to worry about what you're going to leave when you die. We're clearly in a tough predicament since we'll worry either about not having enough or we'll worry about having too much. And I would say the median middle-class person in Blount County worries in both directions. They worry about that medical emergency that basically almost no one can afford, and they probably have a house slightly bigger than they need. So we're worrying on both directions. What to do about it? Well, the Lausanne Congress, which is a gathering of worldwide evangelicals, which was started in the 1970s, among many other people, one including Billy Graham, They wrote a statement years ago on recommending simple living to world Christians. They recommended the practice of simple living to world Christians. Here's some of the things they said. First of all, simple living is going to look different in different cultures. So there's no rules or regulations about what simple living should look like. But in your current cultural context, this would be doing things like renouncing waste, opposing extravagance in personal living, clothing, housing, and travel. Could you live without that routine expensive coffee or that routine clothing and instead give more away as Jesus encourages in verse 33? Give your possessions to the poor. Simple living also makes sure that your basic needs of food, clothing, and housing, and other things are met. Simple living is not a vow of poverty, in other words. Now, if you lived more simply, that wouldn't mean you'd stop worrying and you shouldn't try to live more simply so that you could stop worrying. Anxiety doesn't really work that way. But I do think there is a correlation. The less you have to worry about, as someone who can live simply, you you probably will worry less. You shouldn't give things away so that your anxiety problem can be solved, but you should see that they are related. Now, I'm just trying to lay out an end game here, which is simple living. Doing this is another matter. It's very hard to do. I'm right there with you. So we need to explore our hearts more. If we're really going to have any power to do this, we're going to have to see how we kind of fail to do this in our hearts, which is the second point this morning, the deceptiveness of money worry, the deceptiveness of money worry. Jesus' whole teaching here in uh, chapter 12, verse 13, begins with a man who is the victim of injustice by a family member. In verse 13, the man wants Jesus to be an arbitrator or a kind of a judge, a, a mediator between two parties, and he goes to Jesus to ask him to solve the problem. And the first time I was reading this, I thought, this is a good thing. Is Jesus the judge of the world? Yes. So the man gets that right. Does Jesus want people to come to him with their needs? Yes. In fact, he does. Just in Luke chapter 11, he's talking about prayer, which is exactly what this man is doing. And yet Jesus flips it on its head in verse 14. He said, hey, look, I'm not your arbitrator. What I really am is the preacher and the prophet who's going to tell you what the deeper issue is. And what is that deeper issue in verse 15? Greed, covetousness. The man is asserting his rights 
which we Americans are really good at doing. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's a vice more deeply rooted underneath your assertion of rights. Greed, covetousness, as our ESV says. In fact, Jesus seems to take the 10th commandment, which we had read just a minute ago, that Exodus passage about not coveting your neighbor's donkey, which I personally struggle with if I'm being honest about my sins. The 10th commandment is going deeper because the 10th commandment is, hey, don't covet what belongs to someone else. Don't be greedy after what someone else owns. And Jesus is essentially kind of acknowledging to the man, hey, you might even have a rightful claim. That might be your property, and you shouldn't be greedy for it. You shouldn't be coveting your own stuff. And what are the two commands Jesus issues in verse 15 to help the man out? Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. Other translations get the gist of this as well when Jesus says to watch out. Watch out lest you be guilty of greed. And here is the central reality to the sin of greed, which is that Jesus has to say to watch out, to take care, to be on your guard, because no one thinks they are guilty of greed. No one thinks they're guilty of greed. Naturally, you have to watch out for it. You have to look into your own soul because it's just not a natural instinct of the human heart. Consider the other Ten Commandments, though. You know, if you're talking bad about your parents behind their back, you know you're not honoring them. You know, if you've committed adultery, it's not like a surprise to you. But with greed, the Tenth Commandment, oh, you have to look out for it. You have to watch out for it. You have to take care. You have to be on your guard. You have to look for it in your own soul. Looking at greed in other people's souls is way easier, though, isn't it? I remember over 10 years ago, we had the Occupy Wall Street movement where multiple players couldn't see the greed in themselves, but they could see the greed in other people. If you uh, don't remember this or you're too young to remember Occupy Wall Street, here's a brief recap. Uh, The Great Recession began with a slight economic downturn that really accelerated because we learned that large banks in New York City were selling financial products, which were bundled mortgages. They were called subprime mortgages. Basically, they were junk mortgages. But people still had to pay them. And when the economy started going south, people couldn't pay them more and more, especially these adjustable rate mortgages that would just dramatically escalate people's mortgage payments. But Wall Street was making a killing, bundling these mortgages and selling them and selling them and selling them. And I don't really understand it all. Some of you are in banking and finance. That's about all I can understand. Here's what I remember, though. These banks would get bailed out by the government and other things. And these executives that were running these places got soft landings. And they got corporate bonuses a little later on once things kind of rebounded. And they never really got punished while Americans had to endure years and years and years of joblessness by a contracted economy. So only the most ideological driven person would have a hard time seeing that these corporate executives were not driven by greed. Of course they were. Of course they were driven by greed. It's easy to see that in someone else. And so a protest movement popped up in Zuccotti Park in downtown Manhattan saying that these protesters represented the 99% on behalf, they represented the 99% against these 1% rich executives. And it would be too simplistic to kind of narrow down the Occupy Wall Street movement into a coherent political philosophy. But essentially you would have seen a lot of signs that said these Wall Street executives just need to give their money to them. Now, if you're a Wall Street executive, you're looking down at the Occupy Wall Street movement, and you've been working 20-hour days, and you've been working your tail off, and you can look down at these people and go, these people just want us to give them money without working for it? They're greedy. And they would have been right. 
The Occupy Wall Street movement's looking at the corporate executives and going, they are profiting off the backs of the poor, and they didn't even really face much of a punishment. And they would have been right. And both were right about one another, but none of them could see the greed in themselves. Now, as soon as I got done preparing this illustration about Wednesday morning, I had this epiphany. Oh, my gosh. It was really easy for me to pick out an illustration of greed and other people. I don't have much in common with anarchists, and I don't have much in common with Wall Street executives. And then I looked at myself and went, oh, man, how about the greed in my own soul? Take care. Watch out. You might be guilty of greed. And so Jesus continues with his parable about the rich man, and I want you to see the self-deception in the story. This really could be many of us. The rich man's land produces a lot of crops in verse 16, so he looks for a solution because he says to himself, he has nowhere to store his crops, he tells himself in verse 17. But we know he's lying to himself. He is lying to himself because in verse 18, it says he has to tear down his barns to build bigger ones. It'd be one thing if he said, I don't have enough space to store my crops, or I need more room to store my crops. But he said, I have nowhere to store my crops. He's lying to himself. He can't see the self-deception that greed causes and the self-deception continues when his inner motivations get revealed by Jesus' dialogue. Is the man really after being successful, a generous businessman? No. In verse 19, he's motivated mostly by security and pleasure. Secured by the greed as he seeks his own soul to relax, eat, drink, be merry. Greed is self-deceptive because it's in the heart. And it can be true of you no matter how much money you have. It's easy to see it in other people, hard to see it in yourself. So how do you watch out for greed in your own soul? I think we need to pay attention to how we think about people with just a little more money than ourselves. One of the reasons greed is so self-deceptive is because most people don't really look three, four rungs up the economic ladder and think, yeah, yeah, I want to be like that. If you're a person who's struggling to make ends meet, what you really want is just a more secure job with good health insurance, and maybe someday I'll own a house of my own. You're not actually thinking, how could I sink 30% of my money into retirement right now? That's not what you think. If you're a person who's largely middle class, you don't really think, man, you know what? I could use a yacht and a house in London and Hawaii and Aspen. No, if you're middle class, what you do is you look at people with just a little more money than you, a little bigger house. A little nicer cars. Maybe they're saving for their kids' college, but you're not. And you go, man, gee, it'd be nice to have just a little bit more. I'm not greedy. I'm not, I, I'm not a Wall Street executive. I just, I just, it'd be nice to have a little bit more. Be on your guard. Everyone likes the look of the next rung up the ladder. Now, of course, working hard isn't wrong, nor is saving money necessarily. And it's not really about how much you give away. I think what Jesus is after is really how much we're keeping. And greed is found in the desire to keep more. Be on your guard for your desire to keep more. So once we are on our guard, what other suggestions does Jesus have for our greed? By the way, this sermon's not going to end in, therefore give all your money to the Church of the Redeemer. We're not going there, so just, you can, you, it's okay. But Jesus does have some answers. Jesus' answer to our money worry, which is our final point this morning. In verses 24 and 27, after he's kind of left the crowd and he's got his disciples back with him, he says, consider. In verse 24, he says, consider the ravens, 
verse 27, consider the lilies. Consider nature. Nature is in complete reliance upon an orderly universe and a God who continues to tend and care for her. And Jesus is asking us to stop, think, consider, be outside. If ever you do any of those things, if you've looked within and you've noticed the greed in your heart and you've stopped and considered how God cares for his creation, the chances are what happens in your own soul is like, ah, I just don't need as much as I think I need. And all of a sudden, just the greed can dissipate out of you because you see that God really just wants to care for your needs in this life. We need to keep a needy heart by stopping thinking and considering. Jesus gives another suggestion in verses 31 and 32. He says, look, you could seek after all this wealth if you wanted to. You could even seek after the needs and try to secure them on your own. But the thing you seek the first is the kingdom. Instead, seek the Father's kingdom, God the Father's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then he says, fear not. If you seek it, guess what? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here we are toiling about with wanting a slightly bigger house or wanting to be able to eat out at restaurants more. And Jesus is going, I want to give you the wealth of heaven, the kingdom. All of the wealth of the kingdom, the crown jewels, they belong to you. Why aren't you seeking after those things? Jesus says, I want to give you everything you need in this life and all the luxuries of eternity in the next life. Of course, it's one thing to tell you to do these things. It's one thing to tell myself to do these things, to stop and consider nature, to seek the kingdom. But it's another thing that God demonstrates it in the person of Christ. Consider what Jesus has done for us. He is God. Second person in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he was worshipped from eternity past. Once the angels were created, Jesus was getting praised and worshipped in eternity. And he decides to leave the wealth of heaven to be born to poor peasants in ancient Palestine. And not only that, he relied on the generosity of others throughout his three to four year itinerant ministry, walking all over Israel. He had nowhere to lay his head, he said. He lived a life of poverty, relying on the generosity of others. And then he goes all the way to the cross and says, hey, look, I never sinned. I was never greedy. I never even worried about money in this way. But I will die for those who do worry. I will die for those who are greedy so that I could restore them to myself and be restored in relationship to God the Father. And he pays the penalty for all of the ways we mess up money. When you see that, More and more and more and more. The treasure in your heart will change. In verse 34, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what is Jesus' treasure? It's you and me. Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy and the treasure of Jesus is to get you and me in eternal relationship with him. That's, we're his treasure. And when you see that, you will want to make him your treasure. And all the worry surrounding money will have less power over you and all the greed will have less power over you because Christ will be your real treasure. Let's pray. Our Father, expose our hearts to the greed that none of us like, none of us want to look at. 
so that we may be open to the grace and forgiveness and joy that is your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you can join us next week. God bless and have a great week.